Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to be here this morning. It's great to worship God, isn't it? It's really great to worship God. He is um, so deserving of our praise and of our worship. Um, just want to say, if you don't know me, my name is Benj, and uh, I am a part of Living Rock Church in Market Harbour, and my wife and uh, Kim and I live there. It's a great place. God's doing great things in Market Harbour. Um, just going to pray quickly. Lord, I thank you that you are here amongst us. I thank you for your presence in us and with us this morning. And I just pray that uh, over the next 25 minutes or so, we hear your word clearly to us. We uh, open up our hearts. We we prick up our ears and we say, God, would you speak into each of our lives this morning? Amen. So in uh, February of 2016, uh, my wife Kim and I, we went on a trip to New Zealand. Uh, Kim's sister, Faith, lives in New Zealand. And um, after about 24 hours of flying, that's a long time on a plane, we finally arrived, and we were feeling pretty rough. And we didn't know what time it was. Uh, we were in a brand new place with a new currency and new foods and new smells and new temperatures. And it was all brand new, and we were totally out of our comfort zone. But thankfully, Kim's sister had a great plan to keep us awake. <laughs> um, she took us back to her house to freshen up. And then we spent the rest of the day traveling all around Auckland, visiting her favorite spots, eating some great food, experiencing what life in New Zealand is like as a local. And uh, she knew all the best places, things we would have never known to do or see if we were on our own. And she really was like our own local guide. One of the things we did whilst... Uh, we went away as we went to a holiday house for a long weekend. And whilst we were there, we planned to take this 20-minute uh, drive to go to a place called Cathedral Cove. Cathedral Cove is a beach with this huge rock formation on it, which looks like a cathedral, and you can walk through it, and it's amazing. And uh, so we set off, and we got in the car, and I said to Kim's sister, Faith, do you need me to check Google Maps for the directions. He said, no, it's okay, I know the way. So we went to the end of the road and uh, we turned left. We should have turned right. And what should have been a 20-minute trip down the road took us four and a half hours. <laughs> we went the wrong way. We went down the road about 45 minutes in. We all realized we'd gone the wrong way. And uh, Faith said, I can't turn around. I need to keep going. But it's all right, because I know, th I know the long way around. And uh, four and a half hours later, four hours later than planned, we arrived at Cathedral Cove because we went the long way round. And that's the title of today's message, The Long Way Round. And uh, if you've got your Bibles at home or in the room, it's nice to have some people in the room, um, you could turn to Numbers 9. That's where we're going to be reading from today. And we're going to be continuing our journey through the book of Numbers and we're picking up the story as the Israelites are uh, wandering through the Sinai Desert. Uh, and if we think back to Chris's message from a couple of weeks ago, we already know, don't we, that the Israelites were on their way to Canaan, a journey which should have taken 11 days. But in the end, it took them about two years because they were going the long way around. 
And we're going to pick up the Israelites' journey in Numbers 9 and verse 15. So this is what it says. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out, and wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. So the Israelites, by this point, they already know that a pillar of cloud is a physical sign that God's presence is there with them. They saw it at Mount Sinai when Moses went up to spend 40 days talking with God. The whole mountain was covered in this cloud. And as we continue the story here, we're seeing how the Israelites were being led by the presence of God through the wilderness. They were stopping and they were setting up camp whenever they saw the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire stop. And as they camped, the pillar would rest on the tabernacle. And they stayed in that place until the pillar of cloud lifted and moved. And then they would follow it. They'd pack their stuff up. They'd follow this pillar of cloud. And then when it stopped and the, the, the cloud, the presence of God, rested, that's where they stopped and they camped. They were being led by the presence of God. I heard a great uh, podcast from John Mark Comer, and he said this, he said, um, God didn't give them a map or a schedule for how to get to Canaan, but instead he gave them his presence as a guide. God's presence was leading them and guiding them, and if you like, they, they had a local guide leading them through the wilderness. And the interesting thing about having a guide is you're not in control. You don't know where you're going. Um, you don't know how long it's going to take to get there. It's a little bit like our trip to New Zealand. Um, with a map, you feel you're in control and you go from point A to point B, normally in the fastest route possible. But with a guide, it's a whole different experience. And so we're going to talk for a little bit today about being guided by the presence of God, about letting him guide us and lead us, letting him be in control of what's happening, the route we take and the timings and, and what it looks like to follow the Lord's command. And the first thing I want to talk about is, is actually where the presence of God is. When we read this account in Numbers, we see that the presence of God was resting, first of all, on the tabernacle. My nephew, Ted, loves the word tabernacle, so I'm going to say it lots of times today. <laughs> Essentially, the tabernacle was a tent, and it's first described as a tent of meeting. It's where Moses uh, went when he wanted to speak to God and spend time with God. And we read about the tabernacle being set up by Moses in Exodus 36 to 40. And it became the dwelling place of God. The word tabernacle literally means a dwelling place. And as the Israelites traveled around, they would pack away the tabernacle, move ahead. They'd set it up again. And inside the tabernacle was an area known as the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. The Holy of Holies was covered by a veil or a, a curtain, and in front of the Holy of Holies was an altar for burnt offerings and a basin where the priests would wash their hands and their feet before then offering a sacrifice. It was a big structure, 
Um, I read online, helpful internet, that it was about 45 meters long and 30 meters wide. This was a big structure. Further along in the Israelite story, we start to read in 1 Samuel 4 verse 7 about how the ark was taken when the Israelites are defeated in battle by the Philistines. And then a bit later on, we, we start to read about King David and how he conquered Jerusalem and he had the ark brought back to the city. And he puts together a tent again for the ark to rest in it. But as we read a bit further, we see that David actually wanted to build a more permanent uh, structure for God and for his presence to rest in. And so he makes plans to build the temple in Jerusalem. He chose a place for the temple to be built, which is Mount Moriah. And this was actually the same place that about a thousand years earlier, Abraham had offered up his only son Isaac as a sacrifice to God, out of obedience and worship. And Solomon, David's son, actually builds the temple, which you read about in 1 Kings 6 and 2 Chronicles 3. And the temple took around seven years to build. And when it was completed, Solomon dedicated it and brought the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies. And again, the Holy of Holies was behind this veil within the temple, much like it was behind a curtain in the tabernacle. The veil itself is about 20 feet wide, 60 feet long, and four inches thick. Four inches is a very, very thick curtain. It was so big and thick that hundreds of men at a time were needed to move it. And it was big enough and heavy enough that no one could accidentally fall into the Holy of Holies, because if they did, they would die. That's what would happen. And only the high priests were allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. And whilst the presence of God was there, it wasn't available to everyone, only the high priests. And we read about this in Hebrews 9, 6 to 7. So we see that the presence of God, it starts off in this tent, in this tabernacle and then it moves on to a temple and as time goes on the temple is actually destroyed and then it's rebuilt and then it's attacked again and in the process of that the ark of the covenant actually um, is lost it goes missing Um, but then a few hundred years later Jesus comes onto the scene now feel free to get excited as I read this next bit because this is pretty exciting Jesus is here and and one day the Pharisees, they criticise Jesus for healing people on the Sabbath. And this is what he says in Matthew 12, 6 to 7. He says this, I tell you, something or someone greater than the temple is here. He's obviously talking about himself. Jesus is God on earth as a man and the presence of God now had returned to his people in the person of Jesus. He is greater than the temple. And for a few years, those who were around him were actually with the presence of God again. And then, of course, we know Jesus is hung on a cross. What a day. And here's what happened. When Jesus died, his blood 
sacrifice and atonement was enough to make a way for us to become holy and to be able to enter into the most holy place. There was no other way, there was no other man-made or man-formed sacrifice that was enough or good enough to make this possible. We read that when Jesus was crucified and died on the cross, the veil that was in the temple, that big, big veil, was torn in two, top to bottom. What a miracle. No human could have done that. Nothing man-made could have made a way for the Holy of Holies to become accessible to us. In Jesus dying, what once stopped our access to the presence of God was removed. There was now nothing separating us. Jesus became the great high priest and entered the most holy place once and for all. Just like in the temple and in the tabernacle, a blood sacrifice was given by the great high priest. He has cleansed us, he's washed us, but this time he's torn open the veil so that we can be with him. And even more than that, he's transformed us into priests. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are now priests of the new covenant and God has said, I have made a way for you to be with me again. That was the original intention of God to be in fellowship with mankind back in the garden and now this has been restored Not only did Jesus die to remove the veil, but then he also rose again and returned to be with his Father in heaven so that he could send the person of the Holy Spirit. God himself has come to dwell within us, to make his home in us, in the person and power of the Holy Spirit. His presence is in us. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, the church itself, in that it is the body of Christ, is his dwelling place on earth. Christ's death and resurrection means that God can now dwell in the hearts of humans and not just in one specific place. So you see, the presence of God has gone from being in a temporary tent into a grand temple and now into a transformed people. Jesus said, didn't he, it's it's better that I go so that one can come after me to fill the church. The presence of God was in one man, Jesus, but is now in the church, in each and every one of us. We are all houses or dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. Who is God? And so the presence of God is within us. Wow. Wow. The presence of God has gone from a tabernacle to a temple to a transformed people. 
So we can see how the presence of God is it's moved from being temporary and separate and inaccessible to being within us, totally accessible, totally present in us all of the time. And this means that, do you know, we, we don't need to say, let's enter his presence like it's something that we're not a part of. The veil has already been torn. He is in us. We don't need to enter into something that we are already in and is in us. We can be fully confident and satisfied that God's presence is living and active in each of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So the second thing I want to just talk about is uh, what the presence of God is actually doing in us. And there's, there's three things I want to let you know about this morning. The first is this, that God's presence leads us in the wilderness. And again, if we go back to Numbers 9, uh, verse 18 and verse 22, it says this, At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command they encamped. As soon as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. And whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. See, the Israelites were, they were wandering in the wilderness. We've heard that phrase so many times in this series. They were on a journey to the place that God had promised for them, but they were being led by God's presence. They were following him and As we mentioned earlier, the presence of God is like having a local guide. They were going the long way round to their destination, but they were being led the whole time by God, who knew exactly where to go, exactly how long it would take them, and what would happen on the way. When Kim and I were in New Zealand with uh, her sister Faith, although we made the wrong turn at the beginning, she still knew the way to get to where we needed to go. Um, and, you know, whilst we were on the way, we actually really enjoyed the journey. We, we took in our surroundings. We took in God's creation, which, let me tell you, if you've ever been to New Zealand, it's so easy to take in God's creation. It's beautiful. We had an adventure. We persevered for a few challenges on the way. And you know what? We actually arrived at the destination at just the right time. The, uh, the afternoon sun was just in the right position, the sky, and the temperature was perfect. All the tourists had gone, thank goodness. And we were able to appreciate the destination even more because of the journey we'd been on. And, you know, I really feel this is a word for uh, some people today, the word of God for you, that although you've not yet arrived at the destination, the journey you're on to get there is just as important God is going to teach you things. He's going to show you things. He's going to empower you to overcome some things on the journey so that when you get to the destination, you will look back and you'll see just how perfect God's timing and direction has been. Don't be frustrated by going the long way around. So God's presence leads us in the wilderness and Uh, Number two, God's presence causes us to worship him. Now, I'm going to see if William could come and just play some uh, piano for us for the rest of the message, just to uh, to kind of help us capture what's being said here. 
God's presence causes us to worship him. When David returned to Jerusalem after retrieving the ark, there's this very familiar passage of scripture that we know from 2 Samuel 6, 14 to 15, and it says this, wearing a linen ephod, um, 2020 version, wearing his pants, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. David is so full of praise and worship that he dances around and perhaps he looks a bit silly and foolish and other people look at him and they think, what is our king doing? But you know, in David's mind, he had great reason to give God praise and worship. God's presence was being returned to its rightful place. David was a worshipper. Is very much a part of who he was, and we read about him playing his harp in the fields and uh, in front of Saul before he's the king. And we know that David wrote about 50% of the Psalms as well. And it was David's desire to build a temple, a permanent home for the presence of God so that the people could come and worship him. David understood the preciousness and the importance of God's presence and it caused him to worship. I want to ask, have you ever been in a setting where you have tangibly experienced the presence of God? It may have been in a, in a gathering at some point or like a worship night or in the car as you've been driving or maybe you've been kneeling at your bed late at night persevering in prayer for something that you've been fighting for maybe you've experienced a time where you could physically feel or were suddenly so aware of the presence of God and what was your response I know that whenever that's happened with me my response has been to get on my knees to bow down and to acknowledge that the king is here and to worship him to lift my hands to sing to speak in tongues sometimes to be silent but to posture myself in such a way that enthrones Jesus and recognizes who he is and what he has done that's what the presence of God does and as we become more and more aware of his presence in our lives I believe that we will become a people who worship more and more a people where worship is a way of life It has a permanent home in us because God's presence is permanently at home in us. It's not just something we watch or participate in for 25 minutes on a Sunday morning. Let's be like David, dancing and shouting and singing because God's presence is right where it's supposed to be, within us. So God's presence leads us in the wilderness It causes us to worship and finally God's presence moves us to witness. When Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1, we have this great moment where he says, I need to go, but wait here. I'm sending someone for you. Someone's going to empower you. Someone you need. Someone who's always going to be with you. We read that in Acts 1, 4 to 9. And so the disciples wait a number of days and then suddenly they're in a prayer meeting And the Holy Spirit comes and boom, tongues of fire fall on their heads and they start speaking in tongues. 
And people that heard them said, what does this mean? And Peter gets up and he gives his first gospel message. And as a result, 3,000 people were saved and baptised and added to the church. Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. In that order, the Holy Spirit's power comes and they witness as a result of it. And that's exactly what happens when we start reading from Acts 2 verse 4 and onwards. So we see that as soon as the Holy Spirit comes to fill the believers, we know, don't we, that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. It's God himself dwelling in us. They start to witness and people start to hear about the good news of Jesus. As the church, as people who are filled with the presence of God, we can expect to be moved by him to witness to others. We can expect to have words of knowledge for our friends and neighbours because words of knowledge are a gift of the Holy Spirit after all. We can expect to have our hearts break for the broken and the lost because after all, God's heart breaks for them and we are filled with him. We can expect to feel the urge to tell people about Jesus, to help them, to pray for them, to love them. Because after all, there's a person inside us who's so ready to do all of that. All we need to do is recognise who he is and say to him, here I am, send me. We read that in Isaiah 6 verse 8. So God's presence, it leads us in the wilderness, it causes us to worship him and it moves us to witness. I just want to say a couple more things before we finish here. We read in Numbers 9 that the the Israelites moved when the pillar of cloud or fire moved. They camped whenever the pillar of cloud or fire rested. And one of the things I'd like to say is this. We need to be those who move when God says move and camp when God says camp. Uh, Numbers 9.22 in the message translation, I love this, um, it says it made no difference whether the cloud hovered over the dwelling for two days or a month or a year. As long as the cloud was there, they were there. If we read it in the Holman translation, it says whether it was two days, a month or longer, the Israelites camped and did not set out as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle. But when it was lifted, they set out. Notice that it says they camped. They didn't stop. We must not be those who just stop doing things for God just because we're in a season of camping and not moving. As we go through life, we will be in different seasons. Some seasons will be uh, of moving, and that may look like a physical move or a uh, moving in something spiritually or Um, moving in outreach and evangelism and sometimes we'll find ourselves in seasons of camping where God's presence encourages us to stay in one place staying in one place doesn't equal stopping we can stay in one place but still be doing things for God it might just look different if we're in in a season of camping let's put our roots down 
Let's be committed to doing whatever God tells us to do in that place. Let's do as the Lord commands us, as we read in Numbers 9. Don't camp out and stop. Don't let the lack of movement cause you to drift or to flatten out. And finally, I want to say this. Notice that the the Israelites were being led by the presence of God in a pillar of cloud and of fire. And as I read this, I was thinking to myself, why fire? What's the significance of having fire there? Well, Exodus 40 and verse 38 says this, For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. And we read that in Numbers in Exodus, this this pillar of cloud looked like fire at night so that the Israelites could physically see the presence of God. It would be quite difficult to see a pillar of cloud at nighttime. It's dark. Then I thought, well, they must have needed to see the fire at night so that if the fire moved, they could be ready to move. They weren't just moving in the daytime and camping at night. They were moving at any time. Normally we sleep at night, don't we? But God doesn't want us to be sleepy. Let's resist the urge to be a sleepyhead and instead be ready to move whenever he says so. Whenever he commands us. He wants to use you and me and he may call us to move at any time. Don't get caught in the trap of becoming tired, lethargic and comfortable. The Christian life is not about receiving your salvation and then sitting tight either until you die or Jesus comes back. It's about being led by the presence of God, being guided by him, working for him and doing as the Lord commands. We must be on the advance. Church, time is ticking. Jesus is coming back. I believe he's coming back in my lifetime. We need to be a church on the move, a church filled with the presence of God, eager to see his kingdom coming on earth. Band can probably come back up. We're going to finish just in response with a song. Um, but uh, I just want to sum up by saying we have a local guide who lives in us and we can be led by him the presence of God has moved from a tabernacle to a temple to a transformed people and the presence of God leads us in the wilderness it causes us to worship and it moves us to witness Even if it seems like we're going the long way round, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit within us is leading us and guiding us. And we must be those who are ready to move or to camp as he leads us. Moving and camping, they're both doing words. Let's always be doing the things God tells us to do. Let's not be a stagnant church. Stagnant things never look or smell good. But instead, let's be a church that produces a sweet fragrance of praise and worship. Amen.
Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.